We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue that today. We were going to stop last week, but I think there's more to be said. Uh, I was travel. I was helping teach a, a conference in uh, Nashville a couple of weeks ago, and, and my friends that I drove down with, uh, they had this really new car, unlike my car. And as we were driving along, I kept hearing it make these noises, and I said, "What is that?" And he goes, "Oh, that's the sensors in this car that." Uh, the, the one you just heard is a warning that there's a car pulling up in my blind spot. And I went, what? <laughs> it's like, you mean you have sensors that, this, that tell you when a car is pulling in your blind spot? I went, that is so cool. And I was thinking, I immediately thought to myself, being the cheapskate I am, is that's probably going to be pretty expensive when that breaks. But anyway, I was just thinking of, immediately I was, I was in the shotgun seat, and I was thinking of how many times I pulled over to the right and heard this, you know, of a truck horn or uh, someone who comes by, and, and they waved at me. They waved and wished me well as they drove past me. Do you know what I mean? They wished me well. And I keep thinking, I'm going to look in that right. I'm 63 now. I should be looking in that mirror and noticing would I have that blind spot, wouldn't it be cool to have a car that told you that? And so it had all these cool gadgets. Like if you got near the white line, little alerts went off. You know, if someone was, uh, if you got too close to the car in front of you, you know, it would slow down. It was, it was a pretty amazing car. It wasn't one of those self-driving cars. But the blind spot part is what caught my attention. Now, how many of you know you have a blind spot? Okay, some of you think you just have one, but the truth is everyone knows you have many, right? We all have many blind spots. And the bad thing about blind spots is you don't know you have them. <laughs> and two, you probably have more than one. And three, they tend to get us into lots of trouble, don't they? Is, have any of your blind spots ever gotten you in trouble? Okay, thank you. There's one honest soul here, Jay. Humble man. I want to talk today about a blind spot that... And this really is a blind spot we all have, every one of us in this room, and it relates to the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a blind spot that can be, it, it, it costs us every day. And I want to show you a story where you can see this blind spot, just, it's right in your face. But it's a story that's not to make us feel bad that we have this blind spot, but it's a story to instruct us on how do we deal with this blind spot? How can we, how can we overcome it? Because our blind spots uh, keep us from uh, something in life that God has for us. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can open it to uh, Acts chapter 28. If you want to use one of the paperback Bibles that are in the chair seat in front of you, uh, they look like this. It's page 779. Here's how it starts. We're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read the first six verses and then stop and then we'll read the second part in a second. Acts 28, verse 1, page 779 in those loaner Bibles. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Now, they've just been shipwrecked. This is not a good day, right, for Paul. It's not, he's, he's a prisoner. He's being taken to trial in Rome. He's been in this ship that's been in a storm for weeks, literally. 
And then the ship crashes and they all escape with their lives. He's on shore. It's a rainstorm. It's not the best day. So Paul's being this really helpful guy. He goes and gets some wood. You know, he's throwing it on the fire to warm everyone up. And he gets bit by a snake. You ever have one of those days? You ever have one of those days like it just, is it going to get worse? You know, possibly, you know, another snake's going to bite me on the leg. Who knows what's going to happen? It's, this is not a good day. So it says, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice, that's a god or a goddess that they believed in, justice has not allowed him to live, right? It's like a Clint Eastwood kind of a thing here. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead because that's what happens when you get bit by a venomous snake. And this was a snake they were familiar with. You get bit by this snake, you're going to die. It says, when he didn't fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he must be a god, Right? Now, God is about God moments at the most unusual times and places. This is not the kind of scenario that you would think would be a place that God showed up. And again, this is one of our blind spots, as we tend to think we have this nice picture that we think this is where God shows up. And I think maybe everybody involved in this whole situation had a picture in their minds of where God showed up. And it probably wasn't this place. But in the middle of this, God shows up. And Paul, at this point, was probably, he probably considered himself to some degree, and the people around him probably didn't think that Paul was an ambassador from the one true God showed up on their shore to represent that God. He was a prisoner. He'd spent weeks chained to two soldiers. They unchained him when the ship crashed and was sinking so that he could swim to shore. And they thought about killing him first because the rule was if you have charge of a prisoner and he escapes, you die. And so, but the centurion who was in charge of him cared about Paul, and he said, no, don't kill him. Don't kill the other prisoners. Let's just try to make the best of this, and let's go to the shore. They get to the shore, and Paul, who's, he's got to be worn out. He's got to be just drained by every aspect of this, of this situation. He, there's something about, the, about Paul that allowed him, we'll touch on what it is in a second, that allowed him to be something that nobody thought he could be, that maybe he didn't think he could be. Now, he embodied in this little, this first six verses here, what the gospel is. He embodied it in a unique way. He embodied Jesus in the message of the gospel. Just think about it for a second. Like Jesus, Paul shows up on this shore in humility and weakness to be a servant. He came serving, and, and out of that heart, he's bit by a viper, but he's miraculously preserved. He doesn't die. And as you'll see later on, whoever, he comes bringing blessings that no one expected. That They thought he was a prisoner. 
But whoever believed his message, their life was changed. And he had this sense of that he let the gospel shape his identity. And so what he understood, which we've talked about, you know, for three or four months earlier this year, how important identity is. The people were confused about his identity. Did you notice that? Oh, he's a prisoner. He must be a murderer. No, he's not a murderer. He must be a god. He wasn't either of those. Well, I guess he had been a murderer. They probably were right about that. But there was another option of who he could be that he was coming to tell them. God wants to make you something completely different than you thought you could ever be. But Paul embraced that, and, and he, you know, when we get baptized, remember how we talked about this, how our identity changes, and we're baptized, we're baptized into the Father and Son and the Spirit. So when you're baptized into the Father, you become a child of God. You're part of a family. When you get baptized into Jesus, you become a servant, because Jesus was a servant. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. That's what Paul was doing. When we're baptized in the Spirit, we're baptized by the Spirit that sends us to be missionaries. So we're a family of servant missionaries. Paul lived this out perfectly right here. He was part of a family. If you, if you read the language of how Luke describes it, there's this we in there. They showed us kindness. We did this. We did that. There's that family. There's the servant part. Then on top of that, there's the cool is there's this missionary part. Paul saw himself as a missionary to this place. So when God showed up, this first six verses shows God showed up. The first sign that God showed up was Paul serving. He's throwing some brush on the fire, and the snake bites him, but he doesn't die. And there's always something that happens when God shows up. If you're paying attention, now that may be like a real overt sort of clue that God's showing up. But these people were confused because they had a worldview that was faulty. They had a worldview that, that obscured what was really going on. And they almost missed the possibilities of that God moment because the worldview they had told them this is what is going on and they were wrong. But they couldn't see it because their worldview told him what reality was about, but it was, it was, it, there was some truth in it, I'll show you in a second, but there was a big hole in it that, that caused them to be blinded to what God was trying to do. They didn't think God was coming to bring something for them. They just were like observing it. So let's look at this for a second. These Maltese islanders had a worldview, and our worldview is, will impact the God moments that are happening all around us. Just like those people, they didn't know God was about to give them a moment. We're often, in the same way, oblivious to the fact that God's breaking in right where we are. Because we have this framework that we think this is where God works and how God works. And there's no way you can ever put a frame around what God does. He just blows the frame up. Over and over and over. Just when you think, I've got it figured out, it changes. And so, Paul was bitten by the viper. So he must be a criminal who the goddess of justice is judging. Or, because he didn't die, then he must be a god. And they were confused about Paul's identity, but he wasn't. They were limited in their understanding. Because let me tell you about worldview, just for a second. Just go on a rabbit trail with me, if you don't understand what worldview is. Uh, 
Worldview is our set of presuppositions and assumptions that we consciously or unconsciously hold about the basic makeup of the world. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody in the world has a worldview. We all have different worldviews. There are people in this room who have different worldviews from other people in this room. Now, our worldview, because most of us are raised in the West, is very similar. On the margins is where it's a little different. Well, our worldview is our culture's concept of what reality can or should be. What is to be regarded as actual, probable, possible, and impossible. Our worldview is at the center of forming and maintaining culture. Dr. James Sire wrote a book called uh, The Universe Next Door. And he's, he just introduced worldview back in the 70s to our thinking. And then there's a lot has been added to that since then. But your worldview is something that you start being taught when you're a child. And it, it just becomes a part of you in the way you see the world. Did you see how naturally they saw a situation and they drew assumptions about or They made assumptions about it based on what they believed already. No one was saying anything about what's going on. They just said it. They drew conclusions. Now, they were wrong. Paul wasn't a murderer. <laughs> he wasn't a god. He was someone who was coming to communicate the good news that would change everything if they believed it. And so this worldview has, uh, all of our worldviews have four functions. It explains, it evaluates, it reinforces, and it integrates. Worldview, your worldview explains how and why things are as they are, or why they're changing or why they're not changing. That's what your worldview does. You have a worldview, whether you're conscious of it or not right now, that explains everything to you. Now, it may not explain it well. In fact, there are lots of things that happen. We go, hmm, like, these, like the Maltese Islanders. This didn't fit in their worldview. This didn't work. This didn't work. Well, if he's a god, you know that they might, must have been scratching their heads at this. Okay, he probably fits in the criminal mold because he's a prisoner. But then when he doesn't die and they say he's a god, but why is he a prisoner? How could a god be a prisoner? Like they had to, that had to leave them with some internal dissonance, right? Because wouldn't a god be like the boss? <laughs> this guy's a prisoner. He's in chains. This isn't fitting. There would have been a curiosity that would have been stirred. Because see, our worldview doesn't always explain everything. And for sure, our worldview, our Western worldview, does not explain everything. So, it also uh, reinforces, I'm sorry, it, it evaluates. So we judge and validate experiences. Our worldview tells us what's acceptable. Now, I remember years ago when uh, John Wimber told a story about how their church, when it was first planted, it was a small church like ours. And, and it was controversial. The first, the, well, he wasn't the first vineyard church, but when their church was birthed, it was very controversial because they had been, all the people in it had been a part of the French church and the Holy Spirit had started moving really powerfully and the French church that they all loved just said, we aren't comfortable with this. Why don't you guys go and be part of Calvary Chapel because they believe in all that craziness. I mean, no, that stuff that you believe in. And John said, all these colleagues I had started distancing themselves from me because our church was controversial and small and you know, considered sort of weird. 
And he said, then all of a sudden, our church blew up. And we went from 300 people, 200 people, 100 people, 50 people meeting in a house to 8,000 people in a couple of years. And he said, suddenly, part of the cultural values of our American culture is big is good. John suddenly is asked to teach everywhere. He's accepted. But he said our church was still controversial. And, and we hadn't changed any of our teachings or what we believed. But Americans love what's big. We had a big budget. We had a big building. We had a lot of people that conferred on us legitimacy. But he said it's ironic it, how wrong the American worldview could be. So our our worldview shapes, and so it, 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 it explains, it evaluates, it reinforces. So when we believe a worldview, it helps define we and they. It gives us a sense of belonging. My worldview gives me a sense of who I'm connected to. My worldview also integrates. So every worldview changes over time, but it changes slowly. So what a worldview does is it allows influences to come and move in because our western worldview is very very permeable we can all kinds of ideas come in and and over time they begin to shape the heart of what our western worldview is but our western worldview is very durable it has not changed much in a couple of hundred years maybe more than that depending on who you read so it explains, it evaluates, it reinforces, and last, it, it integrates. Now, here's the thing about worldview. Please pay attention to this. Worldview, again, it's something that we consciously, but mostly unconsciously hold. Worldview is stored in stories. Stories are the heart of, of worldview. S stories are how we share our worldview. We tell stories. This is how it happens all over the world. And then stories shape our worldview. So our worldview is stored in stories, it's shared by stories, and it's shaped by stories. Every one of you, that's how you got your worldview, okay? I was listening to a lecture this week by Dallas Willard, who used to be the, the chair of the philosophy department at the University of Southern California. He's a world-famous uh, philosopher, Christian guy, he's a vineyard guy out in Southern California, and he was, he was in a, a forum, uh, I forget what school he was, oh, he was in a forum at UCLA, and he was talking about worldview, and he just said that the modern worldview today, and I'll get into this in a second, he, he just was talking about how our modern Western worldview has this uh, unique kind of in, in all the world, the Western worldview is unique. And I, I, I think I won't go to the rabbit trail. Except to say that he observed, too, that stories are at the heart of this. Which is interesting that the Bible, at the heart of the Bible, is, is a story. A story that, that starts from Genesis and extends to Revelation. And it's all these stories that, that are held together by this same thread. And our Western worldview has two stories. Like I want you to think now, use the word story in a different sense. Imagine a house that has two stories, no basement, two stories. And then imagine another house that has three stories. Our Western worldview has two stories. Most of the rest of the world has a three-story 
worldview. The three stories of most of the rest of the world are there's a transcendent realm where God and the gods live. Then there's an intermediate realm that interacts with that first realm and the real world realm of spirits. And that these three realms... Now, the Maltese islanders had confusion about this, but they had a three-tier worldview. That there's the real world we live in, that the world of stuff and senses that we can measure and taste and touch. And then there's a world of spirits. And there's a lot of cultures that are animistic. They believe that spirits live in trees. They live in chairs. They live in buildings. They inhabit places. And there's some warrant for that in Scripture. But that worldview is they believe that there's a spiritual realm below the transcendent that interacts with our realm. And there's this fluidity between them. Now, they have all kinds of confused ideas about who God is, etc. But they are open to this supernatural dimension. Now, our Western worldview is, and this is what one of the points that Willard made was, we believe, and, uh, let me quote him, that the, there's, there's a two-story world. There's a transcendent world, and then there's the world of our senses. There's no middle in the Western worldview. And there's no overlap between them. And what Willard said was that the transcendent world beyond ours is a world our culture mostly believes is unreal or unknowable, or no matter what, it's irrelevant. Do you recognize that from your experience? That the world where we believe God is, that God exists, it's this transcendent world that our Western world largely believes, even in the church, because it's not what we believe, what we say, it's what we do that shows what we really believe and what our emotions reflect shows what we really believe. But the world we live in believes that this transcendent world where God is is unreal, or it's, and this is what Willard said, in the academy we believe it's unknowable. And whether it's unreal or unknowable, it's irrelevant. It has no impact on us. And this is a blind spot. And then there's an excluded middle of angels and demons and spirits that interact. And then there's the real world we live in. The world of taste and touch. And the empirical world, which we believe in our Western worldview, constitutes all there is. Now, our worldview, here's how it works. Our worldview affects our theology. Our worldview is before our theology. Whatever you're taught in Bible school or church or whatever, your worldview trumps that. Because your worldview is internalized. It is hardware on board. It's not software. It is hardware. It's hardwired into you. It affects your theology. And then your theology affects your expectation. And then your expectation affects what you see which then affects what you experience. Because look at, look at how this played out there in Malta. The Maltese people had a worldview, and, they, and, it, and it was informed. They, had, they had, probably had religious beliefs. They believed in goddess of justice, and they probably believed in all kinds of gods and you know, this whole world. Then they saw a man who was bit by a snake. Their first explanation failed. Evidence said, no, he's not a murderer. He must be a god, but 
how could he be a god if he's a prisoner? I mean, you know, I think there was, they were confused about that. And so they didn't, at that point, and you'll see, they, they were able to go a lot of times where most of us don't go. Many a Westerner would just at this point go, I can't figure that out, but I've got it all figured out. My world has a nice, neat boundary to it, and I live in it. Please don't upset it. Please don't disturb it. Because I've got everything, the, the, i got the tea set over here, and i got my bed here. i got the feng shui of my world works. So please don't do anything. Don't tell me any stories that might upset my world. But these Maltese Islanders weren't stuck in our mindset. And so I want you to read with me. Oh, hold on. Uh, But they were at this point where they could have missed what God was doing. Can you see that? They had an explanation. They could have stopped right there. And the way that this narrative unfolds, I want you to just notice this. There's a shipwreck on a beach. The people come out and they build a fire and they start taking care of all the shipwrecked people. And then you're going to see in a second, the next thing they do is they invite them in. The, the richest guy on the island invites all these couple of hundred people into his home and takes care of them for weeks. But there's this transition point right here where they show them kindness. They see this thing. And they could have just said, we don't have it. We don't know what's going on here. We're just going to move back into our lives. But they didn't. They showed hospitality and they brought Paul and this confusing message into their lives, into their homes. And this hospitality thing has something to teach us. We'll see in a second because we've got to figure out how, if, if God moments can be missed because of our worldview, how do we reshape our worldview? How do you reshape something that you're not even often conscious is there? Now, I want to stop just for a second, and Jay, let me have that. Uh, Penny, I want you to come here. Uh, Penny has this little interesting story, and, and Penny is a, a wholehearted follower of Jesus who's trying to live for him and embrace him in every way, but I think the story that she's going to tell, I'll let her tell the story, then I want to show you how it applies to this if you don't immediately get it. So tell us what happened a couple of weeks ago. Is it... Uh, it's actually, it is on, the green light is on, but the, the sound part isn't on back at the board, so go ahead. I can talk oh, okay. I'm comfortable about coming up front for prayer. Um, and so John invited people up for prayer, and I had um, not slept in months. Like, I just had not slept in months. About six months before that, I blew out both rotator cuffs and in my shoulders. And one was healing and the other one wasn't. And I saw my doctor about a month before and she said, you know, you got to go to surgery. So I made the appointment with the surgeon um, for the following week. Um, And so I was just so tired. I hadn't slept in months. I woke up all night long with pain. My shoulder hurt all the time. And so I came up and I asked, I didn't know even her name at the time. Maggie Ryan was up here. And I went over and I said, "Um, I, I can't sleep. I just, if God would just let me sleep one night. That's what I want prayer for. So they started praying, and immediately my shoulder stopped hurting. And so I started crying because I asked God. I said, are you healing my shoulder? Because I didn't really believe in healing in that way. I mean, for other people, but not for me. And I wasn't asking for that. And uh, so 
the pain stopped, it didn't come back. Um, my husband for at least three months had had to help me dress. Like I couldn't move my shoulder to get a shirt on. And so um, I put my jacket and my sweater on by myself that day. I went home, my shoulder had stopped hurting. I didn't tell anybody because I just didn't, you know, I just thought that it was in my head that it probably really wasn't real. And, you know, um, and then finally the day before the surgery appointment, I, uh, with the surgeon, we hadn't set up surgery, I canceled the appointment, and then a couple weeks later, I mean, my shoulder was just healed. It's never been unhealed, it's always been fine. <laughs> so, yeah, it was so weird. And like two weeks, like maybe two weeks later, I emailed Maggie, I had asked someone what her name was, and I said, hey, you healed my shoulder when you're praying for me to sleep. And the thing that God really said to me that day in, in impression was that he was going to answer my prayer the way that he wanted to answer it. You know, and, he, and like I slept every night after that. And he also said that um, it doesn't matter if I don't think I deserve something. If he does, then he's going to give it to me anyway. So that was it. That's good. <laughs> Do you see worldview? see it your worldview at all i mean you can go through stories all through the bible the gospels especially and you can see people's worldview at work the jewish people were expecting a their worldview said the messiah was going to be a political or military ruler and his disciples kept saying when you come become the king of jerusalem can we sit on your right and left and jesus kept saying it's not going to work that way I have to die. It's all going to go sideways. You're all going to leave me. Oh, yeah, but when you become king, can we sit on your right and your left? Anyway, and even after he's resurrected and he ascends, or right before he ascends in Acts 1, they go, is it at this time that you're doing the king thing? It's still stuck in their head. Do you understand? And he goes, oh, oy vey. What, what am I going to do with you? And then they leave. I mean, he leaves, and they're standing there looking up, and angels have to come and go, would you please go and do what he told you to do? Because they're still stuck in this worldview that said the Messiah is going to be a military ruler or he's going to be a uh, you know, political guy. And a lot of people in the church are still stuck there. We still think that, that Jesus is, is this political deal. Now, he is political, but he's not a politician. And his kingdom is not going to work the way we think it was. So... We have this Western blind spot, and if it's internalized, how do we get past it? I'm just going to tell you real simple, and we're going to leave some space for it. The hospital, okay, uh, let's pick up in verse 7 and read it. You can see it. Okay. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home for three day, and, and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Now, the people, the, 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 the narrative gives you this framework where there was the beach, and then there was Publius' home. They were confused on the beach, but when they invited and welcomed Paul and the story into their home, 
they started sorting things out, and this blessing came. The God moment that started happening on the beach, the signs of the God moment were there. It could have ended there. They could have just said, We're, we don't know who you people are. You confuse us. Stay on the beach. We're going to bring food out to you. But they didn't. They allowed themselves to be uncomfortable, and they welcomed. The, the lead person on the island welcomed Paul the prisoner into his house, and then he let the prisoner go and pray for his dad. See, they were starting. There isn't any description in this part of from Acts 21 on. It's pretty much a, a story of Paul's journey. And you go, why isn't there any preaching in this part? Whatever they were doing beforehand, they're still doing it here. But what, what is happening is they're trying to say, where's God? Luke is describing where is God. Everywhere Paul goes, God goes with him. And God goes before him. And Paul is going, even though it seems like his life has been out of control and ruined, God is still in control. And the kingdom is breaking in everywhere Paul goes, no matter who fights it. But the question is, over and over and over, will people recognize these God moments? Or will they let their worldview block them from experiencing it. Now, through the three things that I think this hospitality shows us, is first, we, it teaches us we need to be open to a new story. Whatever story you believe right now, when Jesus came into the world, the first thing he preached in Mark 1, he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, therefore repent and believe. The good news. And the word repent means change your mind. Begin to think and see things differently. Let go of the old story that you've held on to that explained everything and embrace this new story of the good news about Jesus. That in Jesus, God is breaking into the world. He's forgiving our sins. He's healing everything. And that he was raised from the dead to prove and confirmed this message, and then he ascended to the Father above all the gods that thought they defeated him, the gods of religion, and the gods of politics, and the gods of death, and sickness, and hatred, and injustice. He rules over all of them, and that through his name that we proclaim, and wherever we are, the kingdom breaks in. And you see, it'll break in even through a prisoner, there, you're not, nobody is too low in estimation, in someone or their own estimation, for the kingdom to not break in. You're not, you're not disqualified that the kingdom breaks in everywhere. God moments are everywhere, but we have to be open to this new story. And if you're following Jesus, by definition, you are walking in a posture of repentance. That you've, you, it, it has to be settled once and for all we have all been phenomenally wrong about everything. I mean, what should mark every Christian's life is this tattooed, deeply tattooed humility that we default back to just when we think we have everything figured out. God says, you still have a lot more to learn and you need to be humble. So we can have this confident humility or this humble confidence. But a lot of Christians are just freaking cocky. 
without the humility. And the sad thing is, is the times that we should be most confident, we're most confused. And, and we're wrong. And we're not humble. And, and so we leave the completely wrong impression. And then people think that's what Jesus is like because we're like that. And we have to be open. Now, here's this. Here's, this is the, to me, it struck me this morning when I was praying, this irony. We come together week in and week out. And we tell this story about Jesus. And this story is about a Savior who, who Paul modeled it. He came in, in humility to serve. He gave his life. And, then, and even though he gave his life and it looked like an ultimate defeat, and he was, you know, he, he, his life meant nothing. God vindicated him, raised him from the dead, and whoever believes in him experiences God's blessing in this rich life. And it spreads from them. We believe that, but we don't expect that. And, I mean, how many of you, honestly, just like... Penny, who stood up here, you have this deep, inbuilt lack of expectancy that God's going to do anything. Think about the times when you're faced with need and you don't even pray for it. Because in your mind, you have this worldview that says nothing's going to happen. Even though you know you could, you could sit in a Bible, you could come out of a Bible study 